Welcome to the Recovery Stories Podcast, bringing you stories of hope, healing, and triumph over the bondage of addictions, mental health struggles, trauma, and dysfunctional family systems. Our courageous storytellers have chosen to live their journey out loud in order to show others that they don't have to suffer in silence. The stories you will hear are raw, real, and may involve graphic and triggering content. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or are ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 888-648-4098. Or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Rooted Recovery Stories. My name is Patrick Custer. I'm your host. We're so glad that each and every one of you have joined us, whether you're listening or watching live or on replay. We're glad that you're here. Um, You know, we are just wrapping up uh, the end of November, Men's Health Awareness Month, and I can't think of a better way to um, celebrate by talking to somebody who has a really tremendous platform speaking to men's health issues, specifically mental health and eating disorders, Michael Marjama. Did I say your last name right? Yeah, close. Uh, you just say it really fast. It's Marjama, unless you're from the South and you can just say Marjama. That one works too, I guess, when I go do <laughs> hey, events okay. down there. I, I for the South, I guess we do get a little past sometimes when we screw people's names. Yeah, up. it works a little bit. It's, I mean, it's good. Yeah, I've had the worst ones. It kind of looks like marijuana, so I get that every once in a while. So I try to keep it light, <laughs> events and stuff like that. I mean, it's there's bigger fish to fry than whether or not my last sure. name is pronounced correctly or not. So. Well, it's absolutely great to have you on here. I know um, I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. I've heard parts of it before, and um, I'm looking forward to hear the whole thing. So let's just dive right in. Um, You know, where are you from? And, and, you know, what was what were your earliest aspirations? What did what did your young life look like in the family that you were born into? Sure. So uh, born and raised in kind of the Sacramento area, kind of northern California, uh, a place called Granite Bay in the suburbs uh, in between Sacramento and Tahoe. And uh, you know, grew up good childhood, nothing, you know, I guess the average family, um, you know, parents and, and, uh, you know, brother and sister and, you know, grew up, my dad was in construction. Uh, my mom was a nurse practitioner and, you know, they just kind of worked their weeks and my dad, you know, working all the time and, uh, kind of came from a long line of really strong men. Um, uh, we think of, you know, very, um, uh, you know, idealistic in, in terms of what I guess the ideal man would look like, um, uh, you know, very strong, hardworking, diligent, uh, you know, the things that we value, uh, you know, in, in masculinity. And, and that was very much, I guess, from uh, stereotypically was what I grew up in and very nurturing grandmothers and mothers. So, you know, when someone says, you know, you had a rough childhood, I, I didn't, you know, we, we all come through our things. And, and for me, it was, uh, I played youth sports and dad worked a few jobs to try to make that happen and put a jersey on my back and things like that. So, you know, very grateful. I had a loving and supporting family that, you know, I guess it's probably better than most. So, yeah. Uh, well, so I think it's interesting, you know, it's easy for people when we hear stories of adversity, um, you know, and somebody struggled and had things, you know, real strong obvious challenges as a young person to look at those and say, well, duh, of course they, you know, ended up having struggles and problems later in life. Um, but you know, people with a story like yours, I think it's, it's, uh, fascinating because, you know, we see that, um, 
you know, young childhood, uh, what do they call them? The aces, aces. you know, the adverse childhood, um, experience, childhood experiences, aren't they only things that, you know, if you, if you don't have an ace, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to live, you know, live a life without, uh, you know, trials and well, issues. Every, the funny thing is later. everyone does, right. We, we act yeah. like aces is revolutionary or something, you know, we act yeah. like all this stuff and, and we, you know, I, I have, I don't say I have a problem with the clinical side, you know, or stereotypical side, but I have a clinic. I have, I have a problem when we start taking things and we start, we start trying to label everything and it's yeah. like, you know, we, okay, well, what's a trauma? And someone's like, well, is being sexually assaulted a trauma? Yeah, of course it is. Is it, you know, I, and I'm not negating those things. I'm not saying that they're any less or more than anything else, but I mean, in my story, I got dumped by a chick because she felt bad for me. And I had her friend come up to me and say that, well, yeah, is that a traumatic thing? Yeah, sure it is. Cause now you've just got completely denied. Like we don't, is it, I'm not comparing it to being raped, but like in the same sense, like, yeah, if you're sexually assaulted, that's a, tra that's legitimately trauma. If you're in domestic violence, yes. Like no one would argue those are traumas, but how are we going to argue that you're not affected if you're, if you're expecting your mom or dad to say, I love you and they don't. Yeah. How does that not affect any, I'm not even care about child, anybody. I think that's where we need to take the, you know, the point of, you know, whether it's eating disorders, whether it's anything within mental health, anything in health in general, it's not, they're the symptom. They are not the cause. It is the symptom of something. And a lot of times, are we emotionally intelligent enough? Are we willing? When do we hit that point that we're sick and tired of being sick and tired? That we hit mm -hmm. that point that goes, why am I doing this? Why do I keep revolving? Why do I keep going on this merry-go-round? Why am I coming back? And what is the root cause of that? And when we start looking at things that way, I think it's a little bit more interesting. And so what going through, I guess we, you know, when you start thinking about it, we start jumping into recovery. Isn't that what you're kind of doing is you're almost going back and saying, I'm interested in doing why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. Is it the stupid horoscope that told me I should do this? You know, like we, we yeah. all look at things and I think that's where it gets interesting. Absolutely. So when did things get interesting for you? <laughs> you know, well, you see, forward. this is what, this is what self-reflection is all about, right? Am I a huge yeah. journal? I mean, I think this is, you know, we probably, you know, talk a little about story, about eating disorders and mental health. And we start, you know, diving in a little bit more like, you know, I remember going into treatment and it was just like, you know, if you uh, don't eat anything, you're going to lose your menstrual cycle, you know, and, you know, and you're mm -hmm. with girls and I'm like the only guy in there and I'm sitting there going like, not really worried about it. <laughs> you know, like it, it, it's a, it's a different, it's a different vibe for me. So, um, so before we get there, I have, yeah. I've got that spikes a really good question for me. You know, um, I've heard this said many times that, you know, eating disorders are a female issue. What do you say to that? Are problems a female issue? Are problems no, a male eating, issue? Oh, I, okay. I know that, right. but what I'm saying, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, at yeah. the end of the day, you say, are, are, do you deal with problems? Yeah, eating disorders, we, I mean, I can go to anybody, right? We can go to any clinician. Mm -hmm. Are eating disorders, the, are they the symptom or are they the, is that the root? What is, why? They're all going to say, it's the symptom. It's a symptom yep. of something. <clears throat> yep. So if it's not the problem, and we know that the problems or the thing, or I wouldn't say problems, the triggers to eating disorders, if we really get down to the root causes, they are not gender specific. Mm. Right. Just like any issue, almost any issue, any illness, anything that's happening, it's not really gender specific. Now, yeah, menstrual cycle, men, not going to deal with it. However, mm. that's just one part of, you know, the whole outcome of, of symptom, uh, physically. So it's mental health, 
we all have brains. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just yeah. like, oh, we struggle with, we all struggle with something. And that's where the destigmatization, the bringing this back down to, okay, how do we talk about this with all the fluff? And that's where when I travel around and spoke all the time more, mm -hmm. I got tired of the fluff. I got tired of the raw, raw fluff. And I wanted to get down to root cause what, and, and to be honest with you, I struggled again, you know, you start falling back into relapse stuff as you know, I'm sure, you know, you being in it know, it doesn't, it doesn't just go to one gender specific. It doesn't go to one thing. I want sure. us to be with eating disorders, with mental health to be, um, allow people, um, to see where they're at in their self-reflection journey. And when they find mm -hmm. that you're there to allow the support system to kick in. If that makes Absolutely. sense. So, so yeah, is yeah. it gender specific? No, but if we really want to go down rabbit holes, girls tend to reach puberty faster than boys tend to. Mm -hmm. So within the scope is when bodies are changing earlier, mm -hmm. there tends to be identity within junior high, elementary school, high schools, as our bodies start changing, how do we fit into our own body? Cause our body starts changing and then yeah. other people's bodies are changing and my not's changing. So <clears throat> It tends to be that we see eating disorders predominantly portrayed in younger women naturally because they're happening sooner. So the prevalence to have them diagnosed is sooner because mm -hmm. that's where the big microscope is. But if we were to take mm -hmm. that and literally take it way back out, we would actually see that it's, um, it affects more people than, than obviously the stereotypical Absolutely. population, right? So people yeah. on the outside don't see that. So <clears throat> I guess to answer your question, is it, is it, is it stereotypically true? Sure, but it's not even close to being correct. Right. Well, that's a great way of putting it. Um, you know, when it comes to, because you, you you hit on such a hot button issue there, the destigmatization, de and you know, you've got the root causes versus the like, actually, what's the manifestation and the manifestation is what's causing that has the potential to cause such physical harm. You know, if we're really talking about it, I believe it's uh, eating disorders are the number one cause of fatality of, um, psychiatric, like the, the number one psychiatric disorders, uh, that cause, cause the highest number of deaths each year. And, um, so in looking at, um, the ability, so I'm a recovering addict alcoholic. And for me, it's, uh, you know, you know, for somebody, for somebody like me, I don't know if it becomes more obvious quicker, um, you know, that I'm struggling because things start to get affected all around me and what, whatnot. Um, you know, my decision-making, my, you know, all that stuff. Um, and it, it affects your brain in a different way, but, <clears throat> um, for men, the shame. And I, I wonder if you'd speak on for a second, like you, when it comes to seeking help or admitting that there's a problem with eating disorders. Is there, do you see more of a shame issue with admitting as a man that you have an eating disorder and that you need help, um, than what is accept society, socially acceptable for women? Yeah. But largely because you have to flip the narrative, right? So if I were to tell the story of, of, uh, uh a man, that uh, let, let's start with eating disorder being being the symptom, right? We're saying that I'm mm -hmm. con I'm using food rather than alcohol substance, yeah. right? Like, so if, if we were to flip the script entirely and we were to take out, this is what I mean by the fluff. If we take out all the fluff and go, okay, 
why is why is someone doing blow? Why is someone smoking cigarettes when they're 16 years old? Are they doing it because they want to? Sure, there's many different reasons. Some of the reasons are because people feel like it curbs their appetite. Now, they may not be controlling their food, but they may be mm -hmm. doing it, they may be using other things. Why do men use steroids? Are they mm -hmm. doing it because they, some want to lift more weight and they want to, to be quote unquote stronger for a maybe a profession or something that they do. Many men use supplements and steroids or drugs, cocaine, i.e., to cut weight because they're going to curb their appetite or they do it to achieve a certain body image. We know women have, women have done that. They have, we have supplement company. We have people that push out advertising to that. We have done that in men, but stereotypically we say, yeah, being bigger, stronger is better. Well, whether or not you do it with food or you do it with a supplement or you do it with a drug or you do it with, it doesn't matter. It's all the same exact thing. So when you start talking about that and go, you know what? I chose to use food because it was something easier to control because I didn't want to go do steroids. Now someone's like, oh, okay. Like now it makes more sense. So now when you start talking about it outside of the fluff and someone goes, well, it's a completely different thing. No, it's not. It's the same exact thing. It's just using a different uh, fork in the road to get to the same destination. And when you start talking about where mental health comes, if we were start instead of... Mm, Let's get political here. Instead of stop, instead of everyone trying to take their own segment of mental health, start uniting the roads. Start putting the roads back together and saying, hey, I see you, alcoholics. Hey, mm. I see, you know, I see you. Maybe that's not political. I don't know. But like uh, eating disorder, uh, suicide, all these start taking all these these roads and start bringing them closer together and being more collaborative in fashion. Because we all don't have to have our own knit. Like we all don't have to sell something. We all need to get together right. and uniting people to get better. And when we start looking that people are taking multiple avenues to get to the same place, you know, which maybe is not a healthy place. How can we start looking at those roads aren't that dissimilar? Actually, they're very similar. That's where I think it's interesting. And that's where men are, con it's constantly uh, misconveyed because men are just choosing alternate routes and it's not thought of as different. Um, that's what I think it's, it's that's that with the, the routes the men are taking are stereotypically masculine things. Hmm. That that's just my kind of like, you know, soapbox thing of almost all yep. of mental health and all of health in general is most people are trying to get to an outcome. First of all, through a healthy or unhealthy way. And sometimes they take it to an extreme or they do it to cope with something. If someone's been mm -hmm. sexually abused, sometimes they can't control their environment, so they control food. Why? Because food's readily available in their house and they have no idea where to get to cocaine. Mm. That's why they chose food and not cocaine. Maybe they wanted to use cocaine, they couldn't get to cocaine, they didn't know where to get it. So, so that's where we start thinking of, oh, well, that was what's readily available was the food. That's why they could make the decision to control the food. When you start thinking about it that way, it gets yeah. rabbit hole, but or, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it is in my brain right now because I'm thinking about so many um, men specifically, you know, when I got sober and, you know, some of the fondest memories uh, this February, I celebrate 11 years of sobriety and I remember back then. Thank you. Um, I remember back during that time, that year after I got, went to treatment, I, I stuck around where I got sober. I, I lived in a halfway house. I did all the things you're supposed to do. I lived the simple life um, of recovery and, uh, you know, had brotherhood and everything. But, you know, I, I remember watching so many men in our community 
go down this this <laughs> rabbit hole, if you will, of now I'm sober, you, you know, my substances have been taken away. And now it's like every single supplement you can get your hands on the gym every day, maybe twice a day doing, you know, all the things and, you know, filling this void. Right. And um, because it's it's the next thing that can <laughs> ease yes. the underlying issue. So from the treatment perspective, right, clinically, if we look at this clinically, uh, clinically, we have to look at problem number one before we can even address problem number two. So mm -hmm. if I'm life or death on food, they say no exercise, right? Or, or, or I'm, I'm, I can't exercise because my caloric intakes down my body. You know, I have, I have, I'm at a high flight risk. We need to solve this before we get to this, before we get to the next step. So clinically, it's not the wrong step, but where we're lacking is after we get, like you mentioned, right? We address, um, we address the, the surface level of getting, getting healthy enough where we're not dependent on substance. Then when you get there, and you've started that journey in recovery and you're trying to just navigate it. And then you're like, I need to fill a, I'm trying, you don't intend to fill the void, but you kind of almost naturally start feeling there's something in there, but you don't know why, and you don't even know what's happening. And then you start seeing other things happen. So where the void is, is in transition. There is, I hope uh, kind of some of the things that I mull my brain over is how can, how can people better be assisted in those steps? Sometimes that's with brotherhood. But then when one guy starts going down a road, like how can you have more in checks and balances in place? So it's not an easy problem uh, to solve, no. uh, but I think you hit the nail on the head is it gets very complicated. And that's where my whole thing now is pushing people to say, you need to be self-reflective and you need to be emotionally intelligent enough to be able to sit in your feelings and start identifying yourself when that's happening. Because if you can't identify it yourself, we start running into some issues. So yeah, have your circle of people around you that can identify it, but you have to start, you have to keep doing the work. It's not something that just stops. Oof. Couldn't said it. I could not have said it better myself. So talking about the work and identifying those core underlying issues, those are always what start us off first. So when you were a kid, how did those pop up <laughs> and uh, when? You know, this is this relates to people and this is why they enjoy talking to me about it because I don't BS them with a you know I wanted to be you know uh, yeah I wanted to have a six pack and I wanted to get it done and yeah okay well start diving deeper right think of like second okay what was your favorite uh you, I mean let's think elementary school right what was your favorite um like time in elementary school what part of the day Oh gosh. Well, I don't count like a normal kid. I was homeschooled. So Oh, was, you did? I mean... Okay, never mind. Let's think, oh, <laughs> yeah. So, so for me, yeah, this is going to be different. Uh like recess was for me. Sure. Right. Stereotypically yeah. recess, kids are playing, you know, dodgeball and all this other stuff. But elementary school, you know, it was like tag, right? Like you'd go play tag, right? Uh and I remember you would sit in class and I remember like sitting around going like, "Oh, like that cute girl, is she going to play tag today? Who's going to play tag today?" right? And you get the organization of kids and then all of a sudden it was just like, oh, well, we're going to play tag. And I'm, of course, and actually went tag the cutest girl, of course, just going to happen. And in turn, she's going to tag me. Right. And it's going to be like one of those moments where you're sitting in class. I'm kind of dreamer in my own mind. And she's going to reach out and go to tag me. And I'm going to be falling backwards, like Matrix style, like sun breaks through the clouds and like, you know, spotlight right on the moment. She's going to like fall face to face, you know, like, yeah, it never happened. You know, like chicks would like run away from me, not because it was tagged, because it was like, Hey, there's the cuter boy over there. And so I never got the attention that other 
guys got, or may, maybe I did. I just didn't think I did. And so mm -hmm. in that moment, I felt dejected. I felt like I was not good enough, right? Mm -hmm. Now you fast forward and all these people are getting girlfriends and I'm not. Well, why? And then as you start rolling down the snowball, I remember getting to junior high school, a girl dated me for a lunch period because she felt bad for me. And I laugh about it now. And I'm like, yeah, you are stupid. <laughs> but now, you know, but I remember those moments vividly. I remember the exact yeah. shirt I was wearing. I remember saving up all my money back in the day. There was K-Swiss, these white K-Swiss shoes and this Abercrombie like shirt, but it was like long and red with like blue stripe, like outlined in white and had a white collar. Like I remember that like to this day, I'll never forget. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I just wanted to be liked. You know, I remember going to like a junior high party and, you know, you'd play like someone play like spin the bottle on the trampoline and like everyone was praying it didn't land on me type of situation, you know, like that type of thing. And it was like the dejection, right? So all those things were happening. And so yeah. when I was feeling like I wasn't good enough for people, my body wasn't changing. Other guys were getting facial hair. They were like actually hitting puberty. And I remember going to me and being like, why am I not changing? I can do something about this. And mm -hmm. so in junior high school, I got cut from a basketball team because I was drilling with my head down, uh, which apparently is not a thing you can do. You have to actually look where you're going. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, I got cut and my buddy was like, hey, you should get into wrestling. Like you work your ass off. Like, why don't you try wrestling? I think you'd be really good. And when I started learning about how I could control my body and control weight and control and, and I could manage how my pounds went up and down. I could manage my exertion. I could see results on a, on a scale or on mm -hmm. a, from a measurement perspective. I then started learn. Okay. If I do this, I can control this and that will help me get a girlfriend. It'll help me get a six pack. Right. You remember mm -hmm. like Abercrombie back in the day, all the dudes had their shirt off on the bag and the girls would carry around like fantasize about it. And I'm like, mother, you know? Yes. Were you one of yeah. the Abercrombie guys? No. You're never no, a guy. I'm on laughing. The bag, right? Okay, so, so full disclosure. No, I wasn't okay. ever. No, but I'm a gay guy. So for for us, it was a little the Aber the Abercrombie bags for like I think I might have known I was gay when I first saw an Abercrombie bag. So that's why I'm laughing. We all did the, a lot. Of, we joke about that because yeah, yeah. and you like you see yeah. the guy on there and you're like and all I I just remember for me like all the girls you know like they have a bag and all the girls are like carrying them around and they were like did you see my bag like and I'm just like all right I just want to be that dude. Like that's all like if I can be that guy, like my problems, yeah. like they're solved. Right. So I was like, how sure. do you do that? And I was just like, well, you know, the Atkins diet was big at that time, like no carbs. So start that. And that's well, my mom was doing it. Like I just kind of watched what my mom was doing because she was just trying to lose yeah. weight because she just had a baby. Like there's so there's it's so much more complicated than, oh, this dude just wanted a six pack. No, like there were so many other pieces that I grabbed from here. I grabbed from there. People that go through, like people aren't, I, I like to think this way. Some people are stupid and they do it really, really stupid. Most people are not stupid. They know what they're doing. They're trying to get to somewhere and that's okay. And so for me, that's when it kind of started. I was like Abercrombie bags. I kept, and, you know, and it, it's a lifetime. It didn't just start one day. Everyone wants the one day what happened. It's never a one day what happened. It's a culmination of all these things leading up. Even if your parent dies, it's not that you just chose to do this one thing. It's the culmination of what chose you to go to alcohol, what chose you to go to an eating disorder. It's because of a lifetime of experiences that make you make that choice. So for me, it's the lifetime leading up to it. And then when I got into wrestling, I learned that food could be controlled. And then when I learned that, and that could allow you to cut weight, when I learned that, that was my outlet. 
So nothing with food, to be honest with you. I love food. I love cooking. I love food. Yeah. But food was the obstacle to get me to standing in my way of getting to where I wanted to go. And I wanted that more. Yeah. So, so you, how did, how did, what did the consequences look like as you started down that road of like taking food away? Oh, Um, like, so what are you doing? How's it affecting your life? Um, Oh, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, uh, when I, I started, it was started by just restricting, right? You'd restrict how much you eat. That would then be calorically less, uh, you know, over, ex- you know, exercise, 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 you know, but then you start learning more tricks. I can take trash bags to my body and go turn the steam on a shower and put a stationary bike in the shower and just ride till you pass out and you lose a tremendous amount of weight. Well, it's water weight. <laughs> it's going to come right back. Like, you know, so it's like, it gives you the, the rush of I'm getting instant gratification, uh, but it's nothing substantial. And then as you start, you know, I'd skip classes and go to the gym. So, you know, you can start with restricting exercise, bulimia, then you get to bulimia and then you go down the, I mean, you can go down the road, start hitting substances. You can go down the road of everywhere. I mean, it'd take an hour to go through everything. Um, but you start learning and then you, you're not attentive in class, right? Like you're sitting in class and all you're thinking about is my next meal, my next, what is it? My next, uh, uh, workout session, you know, what do I need to do? I have this and, you know, mirrors, body check. We always do it, right? You walk past the storefronts in the mirrors and you just like look over and you're like, yeah, I look pretty good. Or you start right. critiquing yourself, right. uh, you know, those type of things. So for me, it was just, it was highlighting why uh, I could see myself doing it. You know, you open up a can of tuna because it was on 10 o'clock at the, at the moment. I had to have something to eat to stay in, but I could only have one little chunk of it at 10 o'clock. So I didn't class and everyone's like, why the fuck does it smell like fish? And like, it's because I was opening a can of tuna to have the one little chunk at 10 o'clock. So I could meet my timing, that type of thing. Hmm. So yeah, um, so it, 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 it consumes your life, right? It becomes your new obsession. That yeah. that's what happened to me. So you experienced, I feel like what you just described was a lot of distraction, but did you experience like neurologically, um, did you ever get to a place where it was interfering with your ability to like your cognition? Yeah. I mean, you don't, you're, you're at a point where you're so malnourished at times that you just have no idea what's going on, right? You're, you're completely, I would say you're not even in the room. Yeah. You're, you're somewhere else. Um, but you know, never, never got to a point. I mean, I had been diagnosed with depression and anxiety, you know, all those things happening at during that time. Um, you know, I saw, I remember I lost a significant amount of weight. I started seeing my mom had, you know, tried to fix it. She was in medicine. She knew something was going on. She, she had a, how old were you at this point? idea? Uh, 16 at the time. I mean, I was going through it for five years before I even got to, to treatment. And that was like my junior of high school. You know, I got pulled out of baseball. I had lost like, I mean, significant amount of weight, uh, in just like two days. And they were like, Hey, you need to, they, I was in the therapy room. They carted me off on a stretcher. Wouldn't let me leave. Took me to the ER, took me to a inpatient recovery. Right. So it's like people had tried to commit suicide or overdose and like me. And I'm like, why am I here? I just want a six pack. I'm not trying to kill myself. You know? And someone's like, no, you're pretty close. (laughs) That that Mm. type of situation. So for me, I never, you know, you don't realize you're that sick because I wasn't actually trying to harm myself. I thought I was trying to better myself. Um, and I think that's, that's a lot of the time where within men, we, we see that we're like, Oh, this is bettering me. I'm getting better, but you don't see the consequences underneath the surface, right? Everyone, someone could look really good, but you don't see that they have multiple organ failure happening Mm -hmm. that, that type of thing. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where mental health comes in. Um, sure. Yeah. It's, it's mental health, but 
Well, it's yeah, and I I can't help but think that how um you know, it's <laughs> it's the imbalance, right? You know, cuz for uh for you know, I compare it to myself, you know, if I could have a couple drinks and it not you know and not need to have a lot more or whatever it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been an issue for you for me if if the same thing you know if you can um bring in good eating principles and exercise principles without going off the deep end it's it's not something it's a benefit you know it's not something harmful it's the the imbalance and the excess the driven by like what you mentioned earlier instant gratification that we are, are kind of um uh, force fed in our society today and pop yeah. culture and, and just that expectation that we're kind of entitled to it, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so you go into, to, uh, treatment and yeah. clearly you're not, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of surrender happening or, um, you know, insight. So what, well, I didn't think I was wrong. Right. And then you go, they send you yeah. to treatment and they're like, wait, I gotta go meet here. Or like, you know, so you go yeah. into treatment, outpatient treatment then. And you know, so you're going through and you're going to your meetings and eat, having to eat food in front of people and all this other stuff. I'm like, wait, you just want me to eat this? Yeah. Well, and then I got to leave and go back. So then I was like, all right, great. I'll eat this and then I'll go work out after, you know, like, right. and you had to supposedly log your stuff. It's like, I'm not dumb. Like I know how I can cheat the system. So, yeah. you know, like that's the problem. And so you get to a point where, we had, and this is where treatment and principle within mental health, within all health is all individual, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You can take a broad brush stroke and paint something, but each little, you know, hair on the brush stroke on the brush is going to have a different, leave a different streak. And where I want to have a different view is I didn't relate to treatment because I was the only guy in treatment. Who am I supposed to look to that had gone through treatment before? that had experienced something about it. Everybody in the building was, was female. And that's not to say that their experience is any less than mine, or I couldn't learn something from them, mm -hmm. but it did not relate to my level. Right? So if I'm interested at that time in chicks and I have chicks in the room with me, I don't want them to know something's wrong. Like, sorry, right. that's just, that's genetic me as a dude <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> trying to, sound bad, hit on chicks. And I'm going to hit on chicks by telling them what's wrong. It's weird. As you get older, it tends to actually work. But um, back then, <laughs> I didn't want to do it. So, um, you know, I think as I learned that it nothing happened for me, you know, you go through the whole process. And then when I got to junior college, and I was playing baseball, again, my head coach said, I got introduced to sports psychology. And I had never thought about psychology on my own home field in within sports. And it was like, how can I be successful or how can I achieve something through my mind rather than my body? Mm -hmm. That's when it flipped the script for me. And I started uh, learning more about how mentally I can outperform someone mentally. And that will physically, uh, it physically helps me. We'll put it that way. So I then knew, and then honestly, a lot of it was education. So as I was still going through the cycle, the revolving door, you start learning what carbohydrates are used for in the body. What is protein used for in the body? What is this used for in the body? And as you start learning more, you start realizing that each individual thing actually in, in its proper use, uh, is 
quite enjoyable and performance really it's it, it helps you uh perform at a higher level and so yeah. for me i started attract attracting uh no i guess i said i started looking for knowledge and i started looking for instead of saying this is my way of doing it this is what i know i'm stubborn and do it i was hungry for knowledge and how could i then use uh, what i was learning through sports psychology and then being able to kind of highlight like oh i'm learning performance um tricks with my mind how can i learn performance tricks with my body and then i started learning how do i need to fuel my body to become an elite athlete that's when the sh the shift started happening i found my why within recovery hmm because people talk about awesome. oh you're in you're in recovery to recover and i'm like no i'm not i'm in recovery to i want to achieve this outcome but when you mm -hmm. took this is what you want to do and they're like and then traditional recovery will say if that's what you want to do you got to eat that's not that's like a scare tactic to me that doesn't right. do anything for me if someone right. were to like okay how can we use this to help you achieve that it becomes your why if you try to do it just to say, I'm going to do like, oh, um, if you don't eat, I'm not going to let you play baseball. That's a scare tactic. Right. But if you say so you're hey, basically talking about using positive reinforcement versus negative reinforcement. Yes. And finding and finding within that instead of catering ourselves to, and, and I get it within clinical, right? Like we can't at when someone gets to a certain point, we can't we have to take things away because they can't have that outlet you know, maybe, but if you were to say, Hey, I'm trying to achieve this, how can I use this for there? Or where is the gap there? And when you start diving mm -hmm. into their individual situation, you start finding how you can use, uh, you know, alcohol and substance is going to be completely different. You can't use alcohol and substance to enhance performance. Now, can I take the same feeling in that many people, like I'll say for me, when I got to the big leagues, I was drinking a ton. Why? Cause it numbed the pain. Hmm. where was my now healthy numbing? Where can I find healthy numbing of a bad game and performance now? If we talked about me being drinking alcohol was to try to do something, you know, for anything else in performance, it wasn't going to do it, but you could relate it to my performance. When I talked to my sports psych person about it was, Hey, how can I relate it outside of, uh, how can I feel this feeling numbing feeling, which is self-reflection trying to find that. And then how can I feel that? within a healthy way. And now it was our job to go back and forth and find that. How can I battle my, my deal with my anxiety when it gets to this point without going to something that's gonna call me? How can I then find that? What is that effect? And then in each situation, if it's in the middle of the game, yeah, I can't just sit down in the middle of the game and just start like, close my eyes and start going through my five senses. Doesn't work. What were some What were some of the things that you would say helped you the most that were you know healthy coping skills um, through those years? I didn't get them. I'm still working on them. Um, yeah. I mean, you'll know. I mean, you you try everything. You try anything and everything at some point. Yeah. Um, like meditating, don't do mm -hmm. it. You know, and that's why you know you need to meditate. I'm like, meditate. No, like I'm I I'm like nope, not gonna happen. I can't sit in a room still and do it. no, not gonna happen. Um, you know, yoga. I was like, there were cute chicks in there, but like it didn't do anything for me mentally. I just right. enjoyed the workout, and there were cute chicks. Um you know, I think that's, that's part of like what it is, is like, I, I'm very driven and a little bit crazy and I'm okay with that. I'm like, I, yeah. I finally get to the point where I'm like, I kept trying to fight that. And I think you said the word balance. Hmm. Um, I almost, 
kind of like a hot button topic sometimes. I almost don't believe in balance because I think if you're doing the thing that inspires you and does you and you're fulfilled by it, mm-hmm. you don't need other things. Now, when when you're taking things to extremes, 100% you need balance. Mm-hmm. But like if you're in a healthy space and you're doing what you want to do and you're trying to achieve something great, no one ever achieves something great without having a little crazy in them. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think like that's what inspires me now is kind of taking a step back from what I was going out and doing all the time and saying, how can I how can I help people? And I think the way I went to help people was that was my coping, was taking a step back. I thought my coping was going out and speaking with people. This is really helping me. It actually hurt me more because I wasn't in a position to talk about it because I was talking about things I wasn't inspired about. Hey, Mm. you should meditate. You should do this. Here's the PR statement that we want to go around. We want to highlight these exact topics. And when you start going through it and you're like, I don't practice that though. That's not my experience. It sounds good, but it doesn't, it's not who I am. And when I finally took a step back, I realized that most of the things that I was talking about, I didn't truly believe in because Mm. it wasn't my experience. It, It was at some point but it didn't work for me. So sure, does meditation work for some people? Sure, it's not my thing. What's my thing? Going for a walk. Mm. I love going for walks. And someone's like, well, it's why? Well, I'm still being like physically active, not mm-hmm. in, but I like to think. My mind goes really, really fast. If you couldn't tell, I talk fast, things just move fast for me. But what I do is it slows me down enough to think. And sometimes when I start walking too fast, I drag my feet. <sighs> And it's a po- it's a reminder for me to slow down. I got that from Nelson Cruz, who's one of the best hitters in all of baseball, who when he walks the home plate, drags his feet. Well, why do I do that? Because I learned it from the sports eye guy and him. Well, why do I have my walks now? Because it slows me down. So it's little things like that. It's not like something revolutionary. Like I sit down, I do my morning routine is this, and I do this, and I do I don't I don't have one of those. I just feel. If I'm speeding mm-hmm. up really fast, I need to slow down. Um I'll go for a walk or I'll, I think I mean, we can't fly by something you just said. If you need to do something you that, if you need to feel something that, and I think that you hit the nail on the head is that with all of these things that we're talking about in so many ways, we're, we're the, the, the unhealthy parts of it that are happening are result direct result of us not wanting to feel discomfort. And, (laughs) and so, I mean, whether it's, you know, uh, doing something to force ourselves to feel something different or doing something to force ourselves to feel nothing. That's what I'm talking about. When I talk about the imbalance, it's like, we go on this extreme end, you know, the, the extreme ends one, one way or another. Well, we have to highlight that. Right? Because that's the way our society works. Mm. Boring and normal does not sell. <laughs> okay. I like I'm not even gonna get into politics. Look at politics right now. Yeah. Look into division right now. Creating division sells. Yep. Creating inciting division sells. Picking and not just politically. You can go with anything. Mm-hmm. You you create division and you don't create unity, you create sales. 
because you create solutions to a problem that you have then created. So if you want to look at so business, true. create division and you will succeed in sales. Yep. Because you're 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 artificially creating problems and our society and country have done that. Now you mix that with inter instant gratification and you have a sales funnel that is faster than anything. You create a problem and you make sure that people want this solution right away. And when you do that, what you're doing is you are spiking sales of something. This world is built on money, power, and sex. And if you truly don't believe that that's the case, go look at any sort of thing in the world. Yeah. And so yeah. when you actually look at it and you say, okay, what am I doing? But just like you said, when there is something of discomfort, we try to fix it like that because we have mm -hmm. so many things that are instant gratification that we can. We have everything at our fingertips now. So yeah. now we're trying to create the solution that's now. And just like you said, sometimes we have to slow down. I heard one of the best answers ever was my grandfather. And he always say, if you need an answer for me right now, it's no. And if you give me time to think about it, it's a maybe. And that one has stuck out with me forever because it's like, I, you're not going to push me into making a decision right now. Let me think about it. Let me weigh my option. Let me think about what's at, and then I will make my decision. That mm -hmm. is, I think, how we need to handle what our, if we could start doing that more, yeah. as people, we would be healthier, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. So impulsivity is <laughs> impulsivity is one of the things that gets us uh, is our Achilles heel. I mean, really for, for anybody. Um, and yeah. So it's a, so, it's a weird topic to be in, but I yeah. love it. I love it. So, okay. So talking, you, you know, you, you mentioned, um, you know, instant gratification, wanting to, you know, either wanting to solve the problem or fix things instantly or change the way I feel instantly, you know, the, the, the solution to dysfunction and, and our, our unhealthy coping skills, it's not instant gratification either. So you go to treatment, you do these things, you do sports psychology, you know, you were talking about how you're still trying, like many of us are on a path of recovery, finding things that help us to cope in a healthy way. But, um, you know, so leading into your um, professional sports career, you know, later on in, in high school and college, and um, what did what did can you describe what that looked like? And um, you know, what what when did you know that you were going to go pro? And and um, no idea. <laughs> I was just. This is what's funny about. I I I just I was thinking about this. I've never said. I mean, it's funny. I love. Uh, talking with you about this because I didn't know I was going to go pro, right? And I I just thought about this, uh, made this connection. I had no idea I was going to go pro in high school. I was like, I was just trying to play, and I got recruited by nobody. I went to junior college, and I got like redshirted my first year because I wasn't good enough to play. Then I somehow like just work my ass off, and then I get to the next level. And I go to Long Beach, and like no idea who knew anybody knows me or anything, and I just play my ass off and keep working my ass off, and pretty sure I'm in the next. And then I'm you know okay, I got drafted. Well, now I'm almost. I'm 26 a ball like okay I'll just work my ass out and just keep working and working and working it's almost like a game of attrition can you outlast mm -hmm. and I think the same thing goes is I had no idea right I just did and then I wind up in the big leagues one day now granted there's a ton of crap and stuff along the way I mean take forever to talk about every little thing but at the end of the day recovery is the same thing it's a game of attrition can you outlast yourself from the day before you're just trying, I was literally just trying to make it so I could play next year. And then you get to that point and you're like, well, made it this far. Let's see if I can play the next year. And then you go to the next one. You're like, can I get to the next level? Then you're like, can I get to the next level? I think that's one thing that I just relate to kind of almost in, in recovery is you almost are just, you're just playing to get to the next day. 
And sometimes you're like, at, at first, you're playing to get the next day. Then you're playing to get the next week. Then you're playing to get next month. And then you're playing to get the next year. And then pretty soon you start as like, you start the snowball starts rolling for you in the right direction. And I think that's what my recovery looked like, especially with from baseballs. I had no idea. I mean, I was just, honestly, I was a nobody. And I just worked my ass off and somehow made it. Um, but I think like largely it's because I didn't give up. I didn't just say like, okay, fine. This is what it is. I mean, I was 26 in a ball. I mean, I'm still like four levels away from the big leagues. And I got, I got basically was told I was going to be the bullpen catcher one day. And like, you're off the roster and be a bullpen catcher. And I was just like, so like my career's done. <laughs> like, and I was like, fine. Like if my career's done, I'm going to have fun and I'm just going to work my ass off. And like, I'm just going to enjoy it. Well, we got a guy that got moved up, guy that broke his hand punching a water cooler. And they were like, hey, have you played first base before? I was like, yeah, that's my best position. Never played it before in my life. And I went off to like lead the league in slugging percentage, like led the league in home runs. Next year, I'm back catching. It was like an all-star that year. Tore my quad in the middle of the season. Um, and then uh, in AAA, I ended up, they told me like, you're going to start on the bench or you're going you're gonna to be off the roster. You're going to be a bullpen catcher again. And I was like, I was just an all-star. And again, I got this point where I was like, fine, I'm just going to like, I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm in finally in triple A. And then we had a guy get claimed off waivers. And then I started catching. I hit homers in like three straight games off of like the top three prospects in all of baseball. And then I got noticed. And then they were like, do you want to, uh, do you want to, you know, keep catching or do you want to go to a different, I was like, I'll keep catching. And then I started for the international league and the all-star game for triple A. So like I had all these things happening and mm -hmm. there's weird stories happening, but like, they're not, um, it's outlast. It's outlast. I think recovery is mm -hmm. kind of the same way as you're just outlasting, um, your impulses. You're outlasting yeah. yourself. And, and because well, you know, it's, it's not going to go away. I feel like a lot of you, you're, there's a lot of parallels to be drawn in life, but, uh, especially even in like business and corporate America, so much of it is, you know, just continue to do your best and, um, outlast you know, because it, like people, <laughs> like if people end up leaving, people end up whatever, and they've got to replace, you know, they're going to look to the pool for somebody next. Um, yeah. So. And, and your quality, right? What's my yeah. quality? And, and you can, you can definitely take it to extremes, but what's my quality? Who am I as a person? Am, mm -hmm. am I a person that is, and this is more or less when we draw back to recovery or, or just, just performance in general as a human being or in, in who you want to be, what do you identify as, right? You know, everyone talks about we're the sum of like the five people we hang around the most or whether you're the mm -hmm. sum of the three people you hang around the most. Well, you hang around yourself every freaking day. So you're the freaking, you're the sum of the three or five thoughts you think about the most. Mm. Yep. So what are those? Okay. Take sports psychology. And for me, you want to be an elite athlete and you want to be one of the 30 best in the world at what you do. Yeah, I'm going to take that and start incorporating that in my life. So what allowed me to be successful there is going to allow me to be successful here. Everything that you have, when I tell everybody, everything that you have is, is you have everything you have that, that you need for recovery. You have everything you need. You don't need anything else. You don't need to go buy some ebook. You don't need to go, you know, go follow some Instagram person and tell you exactly what you need. Everything that you need is right inside you. Mm -hmm. If you were, if you could sit with yourself and experience the discomfort of what it's like to sit in a room with your own thoughts and you can navigate those, you will get better. <laughs> but not a lot of people are willing to do that because they're, af they're afraid of what they find yep. and they don't want to 
um, they don't want to give in to what they find. They don't want to surrender to their, to their, what they've done or what the way they've thought about themselves or they've thought about others. If you were to do that, forgive yourself, forgive others and sit in a room by yourself with your own thoughts. And you can do that. You'll be stronger than 90% of the people in this world. When do you feel like you first started to do that on a, not Bus like rides. on when bus rides, bus rides in my really? leagues. Cause you had to sit alone on a bus with freaking 50 dudes and you're on a bus sitting on a bus for 14 hours from Savannah, Georgia to Lakewood, New Jersey, or you're driving through Waterloo, Iowa to Missouri. So you're sitting on a bus for hour upon hour, watching the freaking trees go by. If you're lucky enough to have trees, that's, and you sit there and you have to sit in your own thoughts and you have to ponder, why did I, I just went over for what could happen What in this, and you start realizing that I drive a lot and some of the time I never even turn the stereo on. Sometimes I never have a podcast on. Sometimes I never, I'm just driving in a car thinking now, you now, do, now, do that on now, yeah. now, and, and a lot of that, same thing. Yeah. yeah. So when you're and when you start thinking about it, a lot of us turn on something to avoid mm-hmm. that. Yep. And and I'm not saying that, you know, be a be a weirdo and just never listen to music or never I'm right. not saying it like that. Like you need to just, you know, listen to a podcast and better yourself every day. Look, some days I don't want to hear nothing. Yeah. I just want to go on a freaking hammock and lay by a creek and watch, listen to the water go by. And I don't want to hear a word from somebody. Some days I need my cup filled by social, you know, by interaction. Our cup is going to get filled differently every day. And for me, learning that what did I need in a given moment? I'll tell you this. Sit in a room alone with your thoughts and try to feel yourself out and realize how uncomfortable it is. And then keep trying to do that. And you'll start realizing what your body is craving. Not even what, what is your mind craving? And when you do that, you're like, okay, what do I need in this given circumstance that is going to help me in the direction that I want to go? And then is that healthy for me? Is that the thing that I should be doing? Um, yeah. it, it, it helps. I'm not going to say it solves everything. It helps. Um, when did you, so, so you're, you know, you start this process of self-acceptance and, and, you know, embracing your own thoughts and your, your own realities about your life and who you are and and your goals and aspirations. Um, I'm curious, what, when do you feel like you started to embrace, uh, like the full perspective of what, you know, I understand what you were saying that like, you know, younger, you all of a sudden got the drive to, you know, you got into sports psychology, you approached nutrition differently and what have you. But was there a point where you started to assess what had been happening with your relationship with food and exercise and called it what it was and started to embrace like, okay, this was, this was taking my life down a negative path. And, and, you know, you really see that, really see that for what it was and leading to obviously you became an advocate at some point but there was, it wasn't always like that like you lived in a space of denial so yeah where's yeah. that transition how did it take place it's still it's still happening right so hmm. let me give you an example here uh we know would you agree that obesity is a problem in our country yeah okay so if we say that food is food is not the problem i mean we'll have to eat you know i'm gonna get a bunch of crap from eating disorder people on this and they're going to say, well, you're, you're okay. Look, not everybody can have an eating disorder. Okay. 
some people don't have the motivation or the drive to do it. So okay. here's the thing. Is there health in any size? In my opinion, no. Is that going to piss off eating disorder people? Yes. Why? Because obesity is a problem. You cannot, obesity is a problem, right? It is linked to many, many, many health issues. We could, the list can go on forever and ever and ever. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as I get older, okay. And if my body, I have, say I've disregarded my body and I've gotten to be where obesity or maybe being overweight has now taken a toll on me for health reasons, mm -hmm. but I have an eating disorder past. I need to be able to navigate healthily losing weight with diet, not with other crap, with, with food as fuel and nutrition as medicine. So using food as medicine for my body. And how can I then incorporate that into my life? Will I be over fascinated by it? Yeah, my body will, my mind will probably start going that way. So I put barriers in place. Maybe I have a group of people that hold me accountable for where I'm at. Right. So I create that environment around that's where my mind goes now is from the long-term perspective of, of self-acceptance and all that. I still don't accept myself. I try on a mm. daily basis, but I try to feel where I'm at, be where my feet are at. If I feel where I'm at. And then what I try to do is now rationalize, okay, what is good for me? Uh, I need cognitively working what is good for me, or I feel really lethargic today, or I feel like I had a bunch of crap. Well, naturally, I want antioxidants because I am naturally going to be inclined to wanting that my body is craving that. So I'll go get a bunch of berries and I'll have some and I'll just mix that. And I'm like, Oh, you know what, I'm feeling really dull today. Like I really need to pick me up. I definitely need some simple carbs. So I'll, I'll add that into my diet. And mm -hmm. I don't really think about food all that much now, but I know kind of generally what each thing does. And I just assess where I'm at. I try not to overthink it. I try not to be a person that says, this is exactly how much I need of this. And I need this. I need this. I just say, um, what is going to positively, uh, what can I have that's going to add to what I need? Mm -hmm. So if I feel mm -hmm. like I'm craving freaking pizza, I go have pizza. If I feel like I'm craving something, I go enjoy it. Now, within mm -hmm. that same essence, I'm still not going to be oblivious and say, I can eat anything I want and drink anything out and do all this other stuff. I can't be oblivious that way. But I know that I'm almost kind of in the notion, I'm kind of like playing for the tie almost. Like, not that I mm -hmm. like, okay, I had a really bad day. Now, you know, we get the binge cycle. But yeah. I start looking and saying, like, what does my body want? I really want, like, I really feel like I just went on a heavy run or I just, I didn't do anything today. That's fine. I'm not going to change my diet. But if I feel myself want something, then I make the adjustment. Again, I can't prescribe a notion and I will never say to somebody, here's your, here's your recipe for recovery. Here's yeah. just do this and you'll be recovered. Honestly, uh, the worst thing I can say that people are going to hate is I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer for anybody. I just know that for me, um, I'm still trying to navigate it. I'm still trying to find fun mm -hmm. ways to uh, incite my mind. So, um, you made it to finally made it to uh, major league uh, baseball, you know, something that was uh, many people, you know, have a dream of uh, say, wow, you finally made it. What did it feel like when you were there? And um, what did, <laughs> did you feel like you had made it? Um, no, uh, not really. Um, I felt like for me, um, getting back to the big leagues was not or, you know, getting to the big leagues, you know, yeah, it's a childhood dream, because your parents are, uh, you know, excited. You're like mom and dad and grandparents and we're like crying that you're there. You know, I like, guess a cool thing, but, um, 
you know, for me, it was a culmination of a lifetime of hard work. So when you get there, um, it's, it's pretty cool to see that you're one of, to realize you're one of like the 30 best in the world at what you do. Like, it's, it's pretty cool to, to have that, um, that dream to come fruition, uh, dream to come to fruition, but, um, the work doesn't stop. I think we realize that is like, there is no destination that's yeah you're done. You know, like there's, yeah. there's just there. And then that's part of the next, the next chapter of the journey to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I heard you talk about in, uh, another time of telling your story, you know, that the, what is it? The destination, um, destination addiction, you know, we, we go, like we get to where we think we finally want to be and arrive at. And, um, we realize that, you know, we're, we're only looking for whatever the next thing is because we don't feel like we've gotten there. So yeah. when that happened, when, when that happened for you and you're at this place, what was your thought process? Well, I remember, I remember being in San Francisco and we're about to play the giants and, and being from Northern California, everybody's at home and it's opening day for the giants in 2018. Uh, and I remember being there and my parents were like, Hey, after the game, let's go out to dinner, you know? And I've got like, you know, um, physical therapist in my room doing work. I've got my iPad, phone, computer, going through scattering reports and all this other stuff. And I was like, no, can't do it. Can't do it. Can't. I didn't enjoy where I was. I wasn't enjoying where my feet were at because I was so worried about staying there. I was worried about the next game. Well, I'd say it this way. I was probably more mentally unhealthy in the big leagues than I was on my, you know, grueling grind for the minor leagues. Well, why? Because I was just trying to stay there. I was trying to, you know, we, we learn this <laughs> when you, when you finally achieve the body you want, it's probably more stressful trying to keep the body you want than it was trying to get to the body you want. Um, mm. and, and that's where, you know, we realize that just getting somewhere doesn't mean that you've made it. It just means that you've created a new, uh, you've created a new, uh, context for it's your new normal. Yeah. Right. If I get a million dollars, I'll be happy. If I make a hundred thousand dollars a year, I'll be happy. Well, why <laughs> is it a hundred thousand dollars? Well, cause it's a round number and it's six figures. Right. So we, we put ourselves in these limiting beliefs and then you get to the hundred thousand dollars and you go, well, I should make, well, okay, I can do that. Now I need the next thing. And so we're, we're constantly chasing to try to be something. And I think that's where, what I try to do is take, um, take more logical steps, start with the end in mind and work backwards. And when I did that, mm -hmm. it was, okay, what did I want? And I never cr was able to create that for my baseball career outside of just getting to the big leagues. I never had that next thing. Uh, I was just kind of like, okay, I made it. Now I'm just going to try to hold on. Uh, so I was, I was, I was playing scared versus playing with ambition to what my next yeah. was. Oof. Doing things out of fear is never, uh, <laughs> it never goes in our favor as humans. It never does, wow. but, but it's, but it's a very valuable feeling. It's a very mm -hmm. valuable tool. And I think that's where I think we need to be, do a better job of explaining, uh, many different feelings that we view as negative, right? So look at manipulation, for example, look at person. Okay. People talk about personality traits all the time in mental health. And they say, well, mm -hmm. you're, you're, I'm a perfectionist. Like it's a problem, you know, or something like that. See, yeah. Like, but, but here's the thing. Yeah. Being perfectionist. Yeah. Does it drool on you? Sure. But flip that on its head there, instead of using perfectionist, what if I'm detail oriented, mm -hmm. right? Or if I'm manipulative, okay. I don't know many manipulative people that are dumb. What they're trying to be manipulative about or what they're doing is dumb, but they're not dumb. They're trying to think a few steps ahead to stay ahead of you or a situation. They're not dumb. 
they're actually probably pretty resourceful. I think it's an interesting term when we hear people talk about, oh, people, somebody is manipulative. Because in reality, those of us who live in society and work with each other, work alongside, live in, in fellowship and commune with each other, um, technically we're all manipulating each other's behavior constantly. It's part of living in, in, in you know. <laughs> and so, it, it's a society and it's a culture and it's, yeah. it's a living organism, right? Just like we are yeah. the culture, our framework of knowledge is constantly changing. You know, not using like yeah. the matrix as an example, but... But what I think for more people is I'm not saying overthink. I'm not trying to portray this idea of I need to sit in my emotions all the time, mm -hmm. but be reflective of them. Do I need to sit here and worry about what I'm eating every single day? No. At one point in my life, I was. Do I need to sit here and think about what am I thinking about every single second of every single day? No, that's freaking exhausting, right? And we hate mm -hmm. being in relationships, at least for me, for myself, is when someone starts like, the psycho babble BS and they start trying to tell me like, Oh, that's why you're feeling this way. You're trying like, I, sometimes I don't even want to hear why you think I'm acting a certain way. I just want you to just shut up and listen to me mm -hmm. or I will, or I need to be that person. Now, if we want to take this a step layer, uh, a step like going even deeper, maybe I need to be that person for someone else. You want to be a really good partner in your relationship. Not that I am probably the one to be able to give relation late relationship advice, start listening to understand rather than trying to talk to be understood. And so when you hear what they're trying to say and what you need, you will be a better partner. And in turn, that person will start doing that for you. That's just a given in any aspect of life. Yeah. But we try to we try to manipulate context uh, into something we think it should be rather than just listening and trying to feel how, how it needs to move. And then we can just go with the flow. Some people say go with the mm -hmm. flow. It's not you just sit here and don't care. Just try to understand the situation. And if you can, you'll better put yourself where your feet are at. Well, and it's so applicable what you're saying, you know, I, I hear you saying that both in, in relation to other humans, but into, in relation to ourselves, like, right, we, it's the, the art of, of finding the fine, fine tuning our, our listening skill to hear, um, you know, what our own needs, feelings, fears, problems are, discomforts, and, and also those around us. And, um, you know, so, so we, it, it, we do that. Yeah, we do that. Just like when you talk about your experiences and who you are, mm -hmm. it relates to people in a different context, right? Mm -hmm. You being a gay guy, me being a straight guy, we may have different experiences on the way things happen exteriorly from mm -hmm. what the surface level looks like, but the feelings aren't any different deep down. Yeah. And yeah. that's where I think people relate. Right. I may not you going through substance and alcoholism may not relate directly to eating disorder behavior, but you relate to the underlying feelings of what is going on within sure. that within that framework. That's where we, I think, can find common ground rather than putting assertions on somebody and say, you don't understand. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I do. It's just in a different framework. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think we can understand people better by taking mm -hmm. their framework or their, their, what their overarching theme is of what they may be talking about and then putting it in our own framework. We do yeah. that, we're better. And that's where I think self-respect comes in and then treating other people with respect. So true. Um, so, um, you know, you're at this place of, um, at, at your career doing, you know, playing pro ball and, uh, you decide to make a change. Can you tell us a little bit about that decision, why you did it? Um, and what life looked like, uh, after that. 
Um, yeah. So long story, I guess, trying to concise down, um, got sent down the minor leagues was in the big leagues, got sent down the minor leagues was down there, uh, for a few months. Um, and then, uh, was living with a buddy and his, his, uh, fiance now wife at the time. And they had a wedding in July and went to work out one day at the gym, right off days and go ride on a bike and stretch out and take an off day and do nothing. And, uh, got a call that, uh, I had, um, tested positive for a performance enhancing substance and that they were going to be an 80 game suspension or walk away from the game or 80 game suspension, the press release, you can walk away from the game. And I uh, just got done doing a bunch of advocacy work and all this other stuff. And, um, come to find out I had tried some of the pre-workout that they had a weight cutter in. So, um, now I'm stuck between a decision to walk away from the game or have what I felt like was my reputation, my reputation be tarnished. Wow. And so uh, that's called the trauma for people that don't believe that traumas exist or think that, you know, it has to be something that's a trauma. And um, so I chose to walk away because I wanted to continue to help people. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had traveled around, did all the speaking, you know, did all the stuff of talking to people. And what I found was I was still living uh, what I felt like was a lie. I felt I felt like I was living something where in hindsight, I should have just come and said, hey, I was living with a buddy and sorry, this is what happened. And, and, you know, unfortunately, and just told the truth right away. And instead I tried to hide what happened because I felt like I was convicted of something I didn't do. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's when we start coming around to the notion that should I have just been, should I have just been honest with the way I was feeling and what I was doing? Yeah, I should have, but I tried to protect, we get in protection mode, right? I'm getting attacked. Sure. And yeah. so I went and started speaking and everything that I shared is the truth, but wanting to share in the way I did, it wasn't true to everything. And I think that's where a part of what the angst and the, and the things that I feel in life now, especially talking about the subject is because I wasn't speaking from the, the, I wasn't speaking from where I wanted to speak from. Mm -hmm. I was speaking from a platform that I felt like I had to be on, not from the platform that I chose to speak from. Um, and that's kind of different. So, um, you know, I walked largely then walked, kind of walked away from speaking for a little bit in, in mm-hmm. essence, I w- I needed to find my voice. And I think one of the things that stood out for me more than anything, and now doing within business and doing, having multiple ventures and continuing to do some speaking stuff, and I will be doing more coming up, but largely it's, it's taking the. I need to find my voice. I need to find yeah. why. I'm going to speak, right? Why is my reason to share my story? And I haven't found that yet. Before it was thrust upon me because Mm -hmm. I was the only, not to say the only guy talking about it. I was a predominant figure talking about it. Uh, Not that it was like, I'm really anything special. It just was, I was the person talking about it. Yeah. It wasn't from when I wanted to talk about it or how I wanted to talk about it. And that's what I think is different is I think right now, I didn't want to be one of those people that was just out there throwing my voice at things and saying, calling it what it is and being a raw, raw person when it wasn't, I didn't have my why. Yeah. That that's kind of why I backed off. And I wanted to be more in, intentful about what my, my message was going to be. I didn't want it to be, Hey, you know, we all deal with mental health. Wow. Like, great. No, like, I hope people can tell, like I'm raw. I'm extremely raw. I'm extremely brash. I'm not going to sugarcoat shit. I'm going to tell you the way it is because at the end of the day, where we're at 
you're most of the people that end up in some point in recovery, they're at rock bottom. Yeah. And I'm not going to try to relate to someone and be like, Hey, if you get through recovery, you can get here. Like, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not me. I'm the dude that's just going to be raw. And, and I want to be able to speak and people can hear the conviction in my voice that mm. I hear you. I see you. I may not know what you're going through directly, but I know from the framework of what it feels mm -hmm. like to be where you're at. That's what I want to be able to be conveyed in my message. And that's why I've taken a big step back. That's awesome. I love one of the, the biggest things that I, uh, for me, um, in, in, in early recovery, one of the biggest things that made an uh, impact in my ability to get and stay sober was hearing other people's stories of recovery from all things. Um, it was really hard for me to, um, pay attention. Like my, my brain was kind of fried. My attention was, it, it, my attention span was, it was had a really difficult time. And I think a lot of people from the addiction side of things, when they first get into recovery, experience a similar thing to me. Um, so it's sharing that with you kind of behind my why for doing this podcast is reaching people, um, with stories, various stories of recovery from various avenues of, of getting there, because I'm a, such a firm believer in that so many of us can get these little, little nuggets of truth. You know, somebody may be listening or watching your story right now and 90% of it wasn't for them, but the 10% that was is something that they're going to remember for a decades and they're going to come back to, and, um, it's going to impact their life. Well, that's what and I was going to so, ask you. What's your why? That's what I was going to, I was literally, that was my next thing to ask you. It was like, what, what is your why for it? So it's, I'm glad you shared yeah, that. Absolutely. So, and it's something that I, to be, the full disclosure, um, this is only a tiny part of my job at Promises, um, is doing this podcast, but it's the thing that feeds me I, in, in many ways the most because um, I know how much power is is within each story and and transmitting that power in stories, especially through the last two years of the pandemic and what have you, have the technology to do this. Um, I think there's just, there's, there's so, so, so much power there, um, to change the world for the better. And what and, would you uh, like to see in mental health? Huh, that's a good question. I, I don't have the answers. I don't know where we need to end up. I would like to see, uh, though, uh, a shift to where I think that along the same lines of what you said, more connection and solidarity in the direction that we're moving rather than, um, things being siloed um, there from whether you're talking about uh, going to a treatment center, treatment centers themselves, private practice, um, you know, all together, there's not enough collaboration either in many ways when it comes to the dialogue, um, you know, shadow, breaking stigma, uh, raising money and awareness to, you know, to, for for causes and things like that it's all separated um and i don't know what the answer to that is you know <laughs> i wish i had the answers but um yeah. but i do think that that man crossing over our resources and our um our efforts and our whys you know like my why changes a lot you know yeah i've got my cool story that i say and i don't know how cool it is but it's you know it's my when people ask me this you know it's what i tell them and um but 
little parts to my why change regularly. And it's because I have conversations with people like you that get me fired up about a certain thing. And it's like, for a minute, I'm like, you know, there, there are certain things that get, get going with me as far as like ideas and, and initiatives. And I go back to our marketing team and I'm like, Hey, what are we doing with this? You know? So, um, that's, that that's I think, insightful, but you see, that's where I think we miss the mark is, is we go out to say something and we go out to push or amplify our voice and we want to raise awareness on something, but we don't. Okay. You think about this in business and you'll relate to this is everyone has ideas. Not many people execute. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm going to start a podcast. Well, haven't you done it? Well, I, I got to wait till this, or I got to wait till that you, you finally get to the point. I talked to all my buddies um, and I, for some reason I get a, I have a really great connection with, with just gentlemen that are gay. I, I have a great connection. Oh, yeah. they, relate, they relate to my story and they, and we relate to each other's thing. Cause they go, you're hiding something. And I'm like, why? And they're like, cause I know what you're doing. And I'm like, you, why, you know, and then we dive in, but they, but we have a connection because he said, cause one day um, one of my buddies says, Hey, you remember when you talked about your story and you said that you felt like someone couldn't, you were trying to, you were living a lie, you were doing something and you were speaking, but you didn't feel like you had your reason and you were afraid of what people were going to say to you. And this was even before when I, I talked about like the whole thing of me being done in baseball. And I was so afraid mm -hmm. of, like, am I going to talk about it? Am I going to talk about it? And he said, dude, I've been dealing with that for like 30 years. He goes, you know what it was like to try to keep inside me that like, I didn't want my parents or my family or my friends or anybody to know. He goes, the people that are going to love you are going to love you. And the people that are going to hate you are going to hate you. And guess what? Who cares? The people that love you are going to love you. And I literally was just like, that gave me the courage. It had nothing to had him just owning his own personal story, owning mm -hmm. his voice and saying, you know what? I'm going to be, this is going to be me and I'm going to do it. And then for him to do that gave me the strength and power to do it on my own too. Now, again, completely different, right? Like, but, but inside the feeling, the emotion of what it's like to have to live yeah. what you feel like as a seeker or what you feel ashamed for at times or what people, there's so much strength and power in that. And I think that's where the mental health community should be taking a notion, should be taking a step forward is I see you not for what the label of the diagnosis or symptom is, but I see you for who you are and what you are as the individual, not as the label that's on you. That's where right. I think, you know what I mean? And now, not <laughs> yeah. side, but like, I see you for you. Yeah. I don't see you because anything, and I may be wrong. I may judge you exteriorly differently than who you are, but enlighten me on who you are. If people mm -hmm. had that framework of what it was and what it is, we would then make headway that's far greater because we are now focusing on the individual rather than what it looks like from the outside from a, a stereotypical level. That's yeah. what I think is amazing and powerful about what we can do as individuals co mm. uh, collectively yeah. um, as a group and as a space. So that's what in like kind of like blows my mind is, is it doesn't matter where you come from. Again, I didn't come from some I don't have a rags to riches story. I don't have, I'm not freaking rich. I didn't come from rat. I'm just a normal person that yeah. dealt with crap and I did something cool in my life. So it somewhat gives me a platform to be able to speak from, I guess. But if I never made it to the big leagues, guess what? We would probably never be having this conversation. And I was there for like 20 days. It's not like I'm like some magical creature that like just did something. I just, but I have somewhat of a voice. I get to speak from it now, I guess. So 
I'm going to try to just say it, but I also don't want to be the sugarcoat person that just is the stereotypical motivational person that tells you that you can get through recovery. It's no, this is raw. It's hard. And having conversations like this, I hope elaborate and just like say that like people from different places in the world, doesn't matter sex, gender, ethnicity, sexual, it doesn't matter any of those. It's the fact that we can all get together, maybe not agree on everything, but we're able to have a conversation about it. Hmm. And we're able to say, you know what, I can, I hear what you're saying. I can see you for you. I think that's, that's like invaluable. So true. So So true. I couldn't agree more. Um, all right. So last question for you. What, what do you want to leave with anybody who's been listening today? And they say, ah, I die. There's, I'm really relating to a big piece of his story and I'm still struggling. Um, just acknowledging you're struggling is number one. Mm-hmm. And we don't give ourselves enough credit for that. Right. So my big thing is, yeah, I, th- I say self-reflection and all that. I'm not saying you have to have the answer. Right. I, I'm not. I, what I want people to know is you're, you don't need the answers. Just knowing there's a problem is 95% of mm-hmm. the issue. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's as long if you know that there's a problem and you can you can look yourself and say, you know what? Yeah, you're right. There is a like I do. And maybe it isn't a problem. Maybe it's just the start of something. You're like, you know what, man, I'm, I'm struggling with this. There are the resources. They're getting the resources to help you is not hard. Like that's yep. literally the easiest thing in the world. It's getting somebody to, to acknowledge that, hey, maybe I do need some help or maybe that I do need to take this step in this right direction. You don't have to go ask for help right away. Yeah. You can go and just be like, Hey, you know what? Maybe I'm just going to go for a walk and just think about some things that have happened in my life. Think about like, look up epigenetics. And if you never, if people never heard about epigenetics, I don't know crap about it, but I do know <laughs> that they did studies based on the fact that, um, like when you're in your, your, when you're, when a woman is born, they're born with the reproductive eggs they're going to have for life. And then if, so that means when you're in your mother's womb, or when your when your grandmother was pregnant with your mom, you were theoretically in your grandma in your mother's body when you were then when she had birth to you. So the choices that your grandmother made could effectively affect you as we right. either, generational you know, yeah. down the line, right? Okay. So if that's the essence, um, recovery is not about you. Hmm. Recovery is about bigger than you. And even if you don't want to have kids, or if you don't think about it that way, think of the traces upon where you are and the choices that you make. So the, the stressors that are in your life can affect, they looked at soldiers from the civil war, the, any war, any famine, Irish potato famine, UCLA did a study on it. And what they found was people that had the most amount of time in those stressful conditions, their offspring had less of life. had a lower life expectancy than the ones that spent zero time or less time in those stressful situations. Mm -hmm. So if you're in one of those situations, Let's just start by acknowledging it and lowering that stress low and lowering that level of, of anxiety in the place you're in, be accepting mm-hmm. of it. And then let's start by taking one step at a time, right? If you struggle getting out of bed in the morning, don't get all the way out of bed, just get your feet on the ground for the day and then hop back in. And then let's do two feet the next day and let's start the snowball rolling. That's what I hope my story and provides. I'm not going to give people answers. I don't have all the answers, but I hope I can be the, the spark that says, Hey, let's get the snowball rolling down the hill. Um, that that's where I think the biggest thing is. And I think just acknowledging where you're at, that's the biggest step. Couldn't agree more. 
Uh, Michael, thank you so much. Um, Marjama, Marjama, did I say it right? Okay. Right. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, man. We, we, uh, jumped a few hurdles. We got it done. I'm really grateful for you, uh, taking the time to, to schedule this in, make it happen. Um, we really appreciate it. No, I appreciate so, it. Thanks. Hey, this is what it's like. This is recovery, right? Things happen. Right. We get it back on track. We get it and it's good. So resiliency. Yes. Um, all right. Thanks to, thanks to you. Thanks to everybody watching, listening. And with that, we are out. For more information on today's episode, check out the show notes. Recovery Stories is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 888-648-4098. Or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please share with your friends. Follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are grateful for you and hope that you have been encouraged by today's episode. As always, remember you are only one decision away from a completely different life, and it is never too late to start loving yourself. 